You are entering the Freedom Hut. Ain't no party like a Kanye party because Kanye was partying with Trump today in the Oval Office in the White House. A media frenzy ensued. Why does the left get so upset about one celebrity showing up to hang out with our amazing president? We'll get into that. And also the disappearance of a Saudi dissident journalist. People believe because of a barbaric murder plot ordered by the Saudi government. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. What I need Saturday Night Live to improve on, or what I need the liberals to improve on is, if he don't look good, we don't look good. This is our president. He has to be the freshest, the flyest, the flyest planes, the best factories, and we have to make our core be empowered. We have to bring jobs into America because our best export is entertainment and ideas, but when we make everything in China and not in America, then we're cheating on our country. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, Kanye and Trump. Quite a meet today, quite a, uh, a, a media frenzy around the whole thing. There you heard from the, uh, the entrepreneur, musician, producer, provocateur. Uh, and, and it was just, it was a scene, my friends. First of all, he brought back, Producer Mike, do you know where that came from? The, if our president doesn't look good, we don't look good. You know what that's from, right? What's no? What's that from? That's the old Vidal Sassoon motto for <laughs> the hair care products. That you know, if you don't look good, we don't look That's good. That's John. What used to say. John got it as you said that. John said right? It right behind me. Yep. I remember. I watched a lot of TV in the in the nineties, and that's where that comes from. Kanye's in the Oval Office. Kanye uh, had quite a chat with our president, and and there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of very memorable moments. One of my favorites was when you had Jim Acosta from CNN, of course, tweet out, he just cursed. Kanye just cursed in the Oval Office. I can tell you that uh, other presidents curse in the Oval Office, too, folks. Uh, that, that's not that's not something that that does not happen. Um, but well, rather other presidents curse in the or presidents in general. Um But Kanye was uh, was quite a it was quite a spectacle today. There's no question about it. He even at one point had a real. A huggable moment with our president, Kanye's president, too, of course, our American president. Here's what he said. Play 13. This was just set up to be a lunch of two people that I like, and I guess they like me. And we're going to have lunch. We're going to talk. You said, you said, I guess you know I love you. I know. Did, did I, did but I, I don't want to take, I don't want to put you in that spot. But. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm standing in that spot. I love this guy right here. Let me give this guy a hug right here. I love this guy right here. That's really nice. Yeah. Come here. That's really nice. And that's from the heart. I didn't want to put you in that position. But, but that's from the heart. Special guy. Definitely a special guy. And, and uh, folks, I, I, I remember some of Kanye's uh, not so great moments and I don't even mean some of his his uh, overrated songs I do remember Kanye was the George Bush hates uh, quote George Bush hates black people end quote that is what he said after Hurricane Katrina 
So I'm aware of the fact that this whole Kanye situation could turn very quickly. And a lot of people who are right now saying that, uh, you know, that we, we shouldn't get too enamored with the notion of having a very prominent, wealthy black celebrity like Kanye so friendly and familiar with the president and working with him on policy issues, by the way. You know, you, you could say this about a lot of people in a lot of different situations. Are, are we allowed to embrace that he's saying things that we like and pushing ideas that we like now? Or do we have to say, well, a long time ago, he, he had or even you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was, he had a different perspective. So with that invalidates him now, that's not a standard that we hold anyone to, never mind to a, a celebrity. So, you know, there's a little bit of I don't know if you'd say trust, but verify, but there's some applause with caution here i think in order for the whole kanye situation and then there's also the everybody just needs to calm the heck down our media was acting like trump went and played 18 holes with kim jong-un which let's be honest that could probably happen sometime pretty soon but they were acting like this was some crazy thing that he had Kanye and talk to him and saying, oh, he profaned the uh, profaned the office of the presidency by doing this, by cursing in there. You know, this is the same office, literally the office, the Oval Office, where Bill Clinton did a whole lot more in the way of profane stuff than have a guest who cursed. But there are no standards the media really applies to any of this. There's no there's no truth necessary for what they say. Uh, they just want to find ways to hate and to criticize the president. And there's always ways to do that. Here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Donna Brazile, whom I managed to uh, debate a few times in C- at CNN and who was always treated with tremendous deference. I mean, they really love Donna Brazile at CNN. So I was supposed to be there to get uh, buck slapped, if you will. Buck slap gets buck uh, buck. Whoops. You know what I mean? Buck gets buck slapped. Um, and in turn, I actually managed to uh, turn the tables on her. And she told me, she interrupted me once and told me to stop interrupting her. It was a pretty amazing thing. I don't know. Some of you may have even seen that. But I was never impressed with her. Uh, she, though, has tweeted out, uh, she has tweeted out the following in response to this kind of thing. Remember, this was, uh, I think she was she was DNC chair chairman. And then she gave the questions to Hillary, you remember. He got fired from CNN. She tweeted out the following in in response to this whole Kanye thing today. Kanye West has set us back 155 years. Wish Sojourner Truth could have met with him outside the White House and Frederick Douglass inside the Oval Office. Barack Obama never would have become president with this crap. But let's meet Kanye on Election Day by voting for Democrats. I mean, the, the end of that is fine. If she wants to propagandize for Democrats, she's totally free to do that. But to say that Kanye has set back uh i i I guess when she says set us back i I don't want to put words in her mouth but i'm assuming she means the black community set us back 155 years well if one does the math on that it seems uh like she's making a pretty pointed reference there and how is that what a reasonable rational person would say here you have a world famous black millionaire in the Oval Office embracing the president of the literally embracing. I mean, giving him a hug and sharing ideas with him and sharing lunch with him. This is the leader of the free world. 
This is a man talking about Trump now. <laughs> Kanye probably thinks he's the leader of the free world, among other things, among being a deity. Uh, but there's no there's no way any sentient, normal human being could look at this and say, yeah, that's degrading for any group of people, never mind for black Americans. I mean, this is this is the Oval Office. And I think that the way they get to this is, is twofold. One, they they hate Trump so much that they're blinded with rage about him all the time. But also they don't really accept that Trump is the president. They they have this is this is true about the left now. And it explains a lot. It explains a lot of their mob mentality and the mob actions and the way that they've been willing to cast aside basic decency and decorum and to justify this behavior to themselves and to others on the media. And it's because they don't really think that he's the president. They think that he is a fraud. Uh, he is a, a an interloper. He's a pretender to the throne, if you will. And so he doesn't deserve any of the respect that one would give a president. He doesn't deserve any of the deference to the office, if not to the man himself. And so if that were your perspective, if you were that deluded with, with rage uh, and that disconnected from the truth, then I could see how maybe you'd feel that Kanye hugging this man that they think is such a fraud in the Oval Office and having this very warm rapport is demeaning. But to any normal person, that's just crazy. It's just crazy. That is the most accurate way to describe it. And there were some meltdowns today. There were some meltdowns that were incredible. I mean, epic meltdowns. Where is that? Uh, John, do we have that MSNBC? Oh, my God. Velshi and, and Rule, who are this duo on MSNBC that I've seen a few times now, they went into pearl clutching level 10 over this thing. You know what? Let's uh, let, let me hit, let me take a moment here team. 844-900-2825. buck. You want to share some thoughts on the Kanye situation? Call in. We'll get lines open now. Uh but when when we come back, you will have to hear this meltdown to believe it. it it's both hilarious and kind of frightening that adults could react this way. That's coming up in just a moment. So this is the the segment that I was telling you about from MSNBC where you know, this is in response to a celebrity going into the Oval Office. It's not a world-changing event. Although Kanye and Kim Kardashian have gotten people in front of the White House for pardon purposes, right? Have managed to do some work and some conversations on criminal justice reform. And, and I would note that, well, this is really just more about the media reaction to this than anything else. Because when you see how they react to something this innocuous, and that really should just be fun and funny. You understand how they get so worked up and, and overexcited and angry about other things that shouldn't be a problem at all. Right. I mean, if they can't handle Kanye going to the Oval Office, they really can't handle a Supreme Court nominee that they don't like. Right. I mean, there's there's some some correlation here. But MSNBC, which I know is the most liberal of the cable networks. CNN is the maybe the most anti-Trump, but MSNBC is the most consistently left-wing. And, I mean, I really think that MSNBC is the, is the network for leftists, and CNN is the network for people who hate Trump, uh, whoever they are. If you hate Trump, watch CNN. If you're a leftist, if you're a big Bernie Sanders fan, you probably want to watch MSNBC. Uh, but, but MS, as it is known, 
MSNBC has on this this duo who've got nothing on Crystal and Buck. I'm just going to say it right now, all right? Velshi and Rule, whatever. Crystal and Buck take them to town any day of the week. Uh, but this is how they reacted to a celebrity hanging out with the president, having lunch, and having some photographers around. Play clip 12. That but was if you think you're bonkers. going to get uh, uh, a thoughtful play-by-play and that political analysis, you're not. Because that was an assault on our White House. We're not. We're not. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, you can't analyze some of that stuff that was said. Um, as we warned you at the top, uh, there was a little bit of profanity. We, there was actually more oh, than you heard. We, we were able to bleep some of it out. Uh, but there was uh, some of it did make it in there. Um, that was crazy. That was bonkers. I mean, the things that that, uh, Kanye said. uh, Can I go with my favorite? Yeah. How he talked about he had a lack of male role models uh, in his life growing up. Not a lot of male energy in his house. The reason he was drawn to MAGA was because of the male power. When when he put that cap on, he felt like a guy who could play catch with his. his, his, Because he didn't have that opportunity, which was stunning. You know, when he also said, you know, a lot of African Americans out there, they don't like the again. They don't like make America great again. And the reason being, if you are anything but a white male, historically, life wasn't better for you than it is in the current moment. It's stunning, Ali, that that just took place. And even that the president would say, this was just supposed to be a lunch. That's an outright lie. I spoke to the White House myself several days ago. And I had said to them, like, guys, do you know how unpredictable Kanye is? And they said, guess what? So are we. This was absolutely a press yeah, opportunity. I think that went- so what? Listen to the, the super serious analysis here of everything that's going on. I mean, can, can we... Can we treat this with the context that under any other presidency you would when a a guy or a gal who's just a famous person goes to talk to the president? Didn't I mean, producer Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Beyonce and Jay-Z go meet with Obama? I mean, everybody met with George Clooney. Everybody met with Obama all the time. Yeah. And, and we would have to and we hear those clowns spouting off. Some of them get very involved in politics, actually. But, you know, this is where you see the Trump derangement syndrome on display. You know, the same way that when Obama would play golf, the media would say that it was, you know, that he was so smooth and slick and cool and chill and doing his world, doing the world's business while he's playing 18 holes and, you know, calling world leaders from his phone. But when Bush played golf, which he stopped doing after 9-11, but when Bush would play golf, it was like, oh, my gosh, look at him. White male privilege on display. He doesn't even care about the country and the sacrifices that are going on by our troops overseas. And you know, and he did actually get rid of golf because of that. But you know, they really would pile on Bush uh, because for him to play golf was, you know, it was that he was an unserious dilettante in the role. When Obama played golf, it was charming. You know, it was evidence of his of his skill and savoir faire under pressure or whatever. Same thing with the celebrity meets. Obama went on Zach Galifianakis's Between the Two Ferns show. Zach Galifianakis is not even funny. Obama went on the Mark Maron podcast, and Obama went on, you know, which I, I know has a big audience, but I'm just saying, you know, this is, it's not like presidents in the, in the recent past, the most recent president didn't do things that, oh, he goes on the Tonight Show, and all this stuff happens. Um, so I am seeing, however, Kanye, this is just broke on media. I don't know if you can see anything. Oh yeah. Mike, give me the list of Obama visit celebs. Go for it. Yeah. Here's a few of them. We have uh, John Legend, Queen Latifah, Stevie Wonder, Usher, Aretha Franklin, uh, 
I got to scroll down because this list is so long. Uh, Connie Britton, uh, Idris Elba, Jay-Z, Jennifer Hudson, Jill Scott, Mary J. Blige, Nick Jonas, Oprah Winfrey, Smokey Robinson. It goes on and on. Okay, everybody. Basically, like, if you're famous and you wanted to see Obama, you could. And that was that was never held against him. In fact, they really liked that Obama was a celebrity president. Now, Trump is a celebrity president, too. So, you know, we're going to be honest here. But Obama being a celebrity president was considered to have cachet. It was cool that he was a celebrity president. Trump being a celebrity president is he's a, a buffoon, a clown. He's unserious. He's, you know, a bad guy, all, all that stuff. And this is where you see the the separation. This is where you see how the media doesn't treat same things the same way. And it's all based on their perception of the individual, which is based on, you know, this this political polarization that is now taking over everything around us. But I just thought that Velshi and Rule freak out was pretty incredible. Yeah, okay, so Kanye's hanging out with Trump. He said some pretty pretty outlandish things. Who cares? It, do, it doesn't mean anything. It, it's interesting. And here's a guy who, you know, another part of this that I will say I find, I do find distressing is that, You've had a lot of media people saying that, well, we can't take Kanye seriously because because he's mentally ill. I think that's a really disgusting thing to do. You know, just because Kanye had sought mental health treatment at one point, it does not mean that he does not get to have a voice or be taken seriously the rest for the rest of his life. In fact, that's a terrible message to send. And a lot of people, you know, I know people who are incredibly successful, who have had real mental health struggles. And we want people to always go, it'd be like saying, oh, you've got a terrible infection in your leg. Don't go see a doctor, right? That's That would be crazy. Same thing for anybody with a mental health problem. So to stigmatize it in that way and say, Kanye, because he sought treatment for, I think it was bipolar disorder, but I don't remember, um, then we can't take any of his ideas now seriously. That's a disgusting thing to say. And a lot of big media people have been saying it. Uh, and a lot of networks have been saying, and they've been psychiatrically diagnosing Kanye from afar, which is also unethical and really unfair. There is a concern right now. I mean, what I heard did not sound like someone uh, coming clearly to talk to the president about issues that are that are in the black community. When it comes to issues of Kanye West bringing black people to uh, President Trump, that is that's a misnomer. Uh, Kanye West has made uh, the large portion of the African-American community upset about his comments about race, uh, about his comments about slavery. So uh, at this point, Kanye West, um, He's exposing himself more and more in the highest office in the land. This is not just a moment on TMZ. This is not just a moment in uh, on E with uh, being the Kardashians or whatever that show is. This is for the world to see. The world saw Kanye West in the raw. Well, this is a reality TV show we were watching. I mean, it there was sad. There yeah. Wait, can you can you just John? Do, I mean, do me a favor. Just play the beginning of that one more. Just just the first couple. I just want to make sure everyone here is how she starts this off. There is a concern right now. I mean, what I heard did not sound like someone uh, coming clearly to talk to the president about issues that are that are in the black community. When it comes to. OK, so come clearly, you know, she's she's also in there. She's very serious in her analysis of all this. But you, you do have these these groups, these uh, these different panels on TV who will go on air and they will discuss specifically that Kanye, well, uh, Kanye West was 
you know, in, in, in a place where he had to go seek mental health treatment. You know, they'll say that, oh, he's crazy, essentially for a, a prominent. But what they're saying, this is what they're saying for a, prom, a prominent black celebrity in America to embrace Trump and MAGA and believe in this movement is evidence of being crazy or is only possible if you are crazy. That's what they're saying. And I don't think that they know who the crazy one really is, but that's what they are telling you. And I can't help but notice that one of the uh, favorite tactics of the Soviet Union that continued on even into the Putin era for dealing with the most hated political critics of the regime, you don't just want to lock up a political critic, right? You don't want to lock up dissidents. Then they become heroes. They become martyrs if you kill them. But what if you can get them committed to a psychiatric facility? What if somebody who criticizes the government can be declared insane by the state and committed to be with other crazy truly crazy people in subpar you know horrific conditions in the interior of russia or in siberia that's what they used to do they still do it there are allegations they still do it at least in russia if you are too much of a thorn in the administration's side or i guess in the regime's side uh, they will have you committed They've done it before. They've done it. They try to do it to journalists, by the way, as well. They have not yet, to my knowledge, kidnapped, chopped up, and uh, and killed a journalist in a consulate of a foreign country. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Khashoggi issue in the third hour today. I'm going to spend some real time on that one with you because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It raised some very interesting questions for us. And when you're talking Saudi Arabia, you're talking about something that does have an effect on the economy and and is not. It, it's not possible to just coordinate off and pretend like it's not there but back to uh what they're saying here oh here here's the better so you had april ryan there she obviously is very opposed to kanye saying this stuff and he's not addressing the concerns of the black community i also just think it's such a it's always taken for granted that, that the black community views politics from this perspective from this completely united and singular perspective and no group of people i mean there are I think the black community is rough. It's about 11 or 12% of the country, I think, right now. So you're talking about, let's call it 30 to 40 million Americans are black. 30 to 40 million Americans are black. I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, it's the size of a, it's a good-sized country just on its own, the black community in this country. There are so many ideas and so many different approaches to politics within that community. But, you know, they, they, they pretend like there aren't. Uh, you know, they, the Democrats pretend like there's only one view that's allowed, only one view that's acceptable. So, you know, April Ryan, uh, she's and she's a big hashtag resistance, you know, anti-Trump person, all that. I get it. But, you know, this this is from last night. Uh, this is from what what happened or this is what happened on that CNN program. And CNN put this on their air. And I got to tell you, I'm not I'm not aware of their your producer, Mike. Has there been an apology or a retraction or anything about this? No, I have not seen anything. So a prominent black American, a famous, wealthy, self-made black American gets to hang out with the president on incredibly friendly terms, a lot of press for it. And the night before, this is what they put on CNN, Play 9. And so Kanye West is what happens when Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Um, and, and we have this now and now Donald Trump is going to use it and pervert it. And he's going to have somebody who can stand with him and take pictures. Just looking at Scott's face. 
It's like, whoa, okay. So, <laughs> it's a Chris Rock reference, by the way, Scott. <laughs> so go back and watch the old Chris Rock stand-ups from the 90s. Uh, maybe, I will look that up. I know that. All right, listen. Maybe it'll work, Tara. Will it? I don't know. Work for who? <laughs> it's not going to work in the black community. Listen, black folks are about to you know, trade Kanye West in the racial draft, okay? They've had it with him. I just, why? And look, I mean, I, I obviously I, I don't agree with, with, uh, with Tara, who is, who is a friend of mine, as many of you listen to the show know. We've known each other for many years. I don't agree with Tara at all on Trump. But Bakari Sellers starting out and using the words that he did, and it's just so demeaning. And I, I have to say, could imagine for one second, team, imagine for just a moment that that exact same, I don't mean change the people, imagine that exact same discussion with those same individuals in the discussion, but it was, it was aired on the Fox News channel. There would be pandemonium. There would be calls for boycotts. There would be protesters in the streets. You know, look, look at how crazy they get over a, over a Supreme Court seat. Uh, trust me, they could, they could manage a day of insanity over what they would view as some horrific racial incident, you know, because it was on Fox News. It seems they don't even bat an eyelash over this one. They're like, yeah, whatever. No, no big thing. No big deal. I just... And maybe they're desperate for attention and, and relevance at CNN in general. I, I don't know. But to be so condescending and so dismissive of this guy. And I'm not somebody who's into, oh, let's hear from all the celebrities in politics. You'll notice I'm not telling you that Kanye's got all these great insights. I'm just saying that it was it's instructive the way that the media covers this. It's instructive about how they view everything else, too. The prism that they are using to look at this Kanye Trump meeting is the same prism that they use that creates so much bias on whether they're talking about the economy or healthcare or national security or anything, immigration, you name it. I will say though, my favorite quote, Mike, didn't he say that time, what is it? Time is an illusion. Oh no. Time is a myth, right? Did you see that? I did. Yeah. It was, he, it, time, was, it was gold, man. That whole thing was gold. Yeah. Time is a myth. I was sometimes Kanye's Twitter account or Ye's Twitter account. Um, I call him Yay now because I think that's where isn't that where isn't that his shorthand? Yes, uh, it is. Sometimes I I read it and I think you know that's actually pretty inspiring, Kanye. I, I kind of like it. I think he does a I think he does a pretty good job. Uh, but yeah, he he was in there and he oh by the way he also took the he took the media to task, which was a lot of fun. He he Kanye owns the libs. That's right. That's one of the reasons why they hate him so much, Kanye is willing to own the libs. Play 14. One of the moves that I love that liberals tried to do, the liberal would try to control a black person through the concept of racism because they know that we are very proud, emotional people. So when I said I like Trump to like someone that's liberal, they'll say, oh, but he's racist. You think racism can control me? Oh, that don't stop me. That's an invisible wall. Mr. West, what would you like? You oh, your question. You, you, you have one question. We're going to go to another question. Okay. I Mr. answered West, your question. I don't answer questions in simple sound, sound bites. You, you are tasting a fine wine. It has multiple notes to it. You better play 4D chess with me like it's Minority Report. Mike, we got to pull that for the show. I got to have the top of the show, the Buck Sexton show. Yeah. 
you are you are sampling this like a fine wine. You yeah. got to play four D chess like the order report. We got We got to find a way to make that. I mean, usually Trump has the people me. eating out of his hands. He had them eating out of his hands. He was on fire. He actually said some insightful stuff too. It just if you take it for what it is, I you know, and the guy the guy's very entertaining, and and this whole thing. Look, is he a showman? Yeah, I think Trump sees a lot of. I think Trump sees a lot of himself in Kanye. I really mean that. I, I think that Trump feels a, an affinity with this guy because he sees somebody who understands how to maximize media attention, who's a showman, who's an entertainer. I, I've told you guys this. Trump sitting down to interview him, it's really not a Trump interview. I mean, I you know, when I interviewed him a few weeks back, it was the Trump experience. I mean, it's the Trump show. And you're there and you get to be a participant, but you're in his world. This isn't sometimes an, an, an interview requires the interviewer to set up the whole the, the parameters of the discussion and, and pull the information out of the person. And it's really uh, it can feel like a very active, a more active process on the interviewer's part than the interviewee with Trump. I mean, you can try to you can try to guide him a little bit, but he's going where he's going. You know, Trump reminds me of one of those bulldogs I used to see walking around the Upper East Side, one of the big English bulldogs. And like the little skinny lady would try to walk it and like that bulldog's deciding where she's going. You know, I mean, you you can try to yank on the on the leash a little bit in one direction or the other, but it's going to go where it's going to go. That's Trump in an interview. He's he wants to talk about this issue. He's talking about this issue. And with Kanye, I just think that they have a certain uh, they they have that level of connection. Look, is Kanye going to turn around in a in a month, in a year, who knows, and say, oh, I was wrong, Trump is a racist? Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? And I, and I won't care. I'm just more interested in what did the guy actually say? This was the one thing that was going on at the White House today. You had the entire White House press corps just all in one big gaggle around them. And there were some funny moments there. And I, I just wish the media could have more of, a sense of, more of a sense of humor about this. Producer Mike, what is the best Kanye song? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm, I do not listen to Kanye's music. You know what I just realized? I don't listen to Kanye's music either. John, you're cooler than both of us. Do you listen to Kanye's music? I, I don't listen, um, but I know some of his songs. Um, there's one that he, he did for his mother, which I think is a, a nice one. I can't remember the name of it offhand. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say... Uh, oh, whoa, there's some songs here you can't even read out loud. He, um, he should come out with a song called My MAGA Hat Gives Me Power. It makes me feel like Superman, like he said today. That would be amazing. Do we have that soundbite? That's incredible. Of course we do. Too. Play that, you know, John. They try to scare me to not wear this hat, my own friends. But this hat, it gives me, it gives me power in a way. And I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. You made a Superman... Makes him feel like Superman. Ah, there we go. I like it. All right, so that's that's what happened with Kanye today. Uh, the press were freaking out about it. They they don't like him. No surprise there, and all the rest of it. Uh, we we are going to talk more about what's going on with the mob mentality on the left in a, in a moment. Because here's what I'm hearing: they want to move past this subject because it's actually costing them in the polls they're seeing. The overreach on Kavanaugh and the insanity that the left has put on display for us is a problem. Uh, enough Americans have seen this for what it is. Enough of them hopefully listen to shows like this one, hopefully actually this one, that there are real concerns over what this means for the midterms. 
Speaking of listening to this show, remember, you can always download the full show on Apple Podcasts. And if you ever want to tell somebody about how they can listen to the Buck Sexton Show, tell them to go to Apple Podcasts and download it. We get the show out now in the early evening as quick as we can. So uh, we're getting it out sooner and sooner so folks can listen to it, hopefully, on their way home, especially our West Coast audience. So we got that going for us, which is nice. And we've got more coming up. Do you have opinions that you feel like you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up some conversations? Let your thoughts and your opinions be heard. I want to introduce you to an alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversations. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued, a place where your opinion matters, and it's totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship, no agenda. Join snippy.com to get the discussion rolling. I just listened to Governor Bush and you heard that calming notion. Remember how long it's been since we've heard somebody talk calmly about a problem? It's not the way presidents have normally dealt with disasters. Just that contrast between the voice of Jeb Bush and the voice of President Trump at the rally has to make you feel this cannot be normal. If we allow this to be normal, we're losing our sense of who we are as Americans. I keep saying over and over again that Teddy Roosevelt said, the rock of democracy will founder if people in different regions, different sections, different races, religions, think of themselves as the other. And that's what's happening now, and we need leadership to bring that back together again. There's uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, very celebrated. Isn't she the presidential historian or something on the left? She's telling us about how, but they love to do that. They love to put presidential historians on TV to talk about contemporary politics. I always find them underwhelming, to say the least, in what they tell us about what's going on today. It's nice that a lot of them, with, usually with the research staff to help them, can put together an 800-page book that generally people don't read, but... I don't really need to hear their take on everything going on now because they've written a book about a president from, you know, 1870. I don't really think that that makes them some kind of particular voice of of insight or expertise on what's going on today. But notice how the criticism there was was actually of the president's tone. It, it's the way that he speaks now. I don't even mean the the content of the speech. I mean his the level of his speech and, and the sound of his speech. Now, that's a problem. She's saying Jeb Bush was calming. Yes, Jeb is low energy. This has long since been established. Low energy, Jeb. Trump was giving a rally in Pennsylvania. And, you know, when he talks about issues relating to, to Florida, he's obviously very concerned. He's commander in chief. There's a big federal response. But this is what I mean. Everything that Trump does is wrong. I mean, when people say things like Trump could cure cancer tomorrow and liberals would all of a sudden be pro-cancer, it's true. It's not an exaggeration. They have involved them, their sense of self so much in everything that they're saying and everything that they're, they're doing all the time. Uh, it, it has so much to do with, with Trump that they just can't help themselves. Uh, this is all part of the Trump delusion. I mean, he's the response to the hurricane. We'll get more into the response to the hurricane probably in the next hour. Um, but there's nothing that they can point to yet in terms of Trump 
being asleep on the job or not, you know, not doing the federal aid in quite the right way or something. So now it's that his tone, his voice cannot be the new normal. Uh, I don't know. I can't imagine waking up every day and being such a, a hysterical pearl clutching lib. I really can't. It must be a very, uh, well, I was going to say a very sad way to go through life, but maybe that explains why there's all these rage mobs running around on the left. But those mobs, folks, people have seen them, and it's starting to show up in Senate polls. That's right. Republicans get an advantage. People are saying there is a Kavanaugh bounce. Let's hope that continues. Global Verification is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company there is. They are the people you want to be doing sensitive background checks and looking into anyone you're going to hire, anyone you're going to rent to or do business with. They work with small companies, little startups, entrepreneurial businesses, all the way up to Fortune 100s. They have a program that will work for you. This is who you want to be partnering with to do all the background investigations that you need done. Go check them out for yourself. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com or call 877-695-1179. That's Global Verification Network, 877-695-1179. Be sure to tell them that you're part of Team Buck. You heard about him here on the show. And tell the CEO, Mark Buckman, that uh, Team Buck says hi. Whatever happened to the Russia collusion investigation, my friends? Remember when that was a big thing? Remember when we were constantly being told that unless we took immediate and drastic action at the top level of the government to investigate every aspect of Russia collusion, we would find ourselves with a democracy under threat. We'd be in a position where we could no longer trust our elected officials because, you know, just fill in the blank with with whatever parade of horribles you want. Oh, my gosh, the election was stolen. Trump is a Russian agent. Just the, the ninth circle of crazy hell. I mean, that's where we were with this Russia collusion thing. People were just and also thought they were building careers on it, too. So you have to remember that there was a, a whole component of that fable of what some of my colleagues and friends call Spygate or the biggest political spying scandal of our lifetime way worse than watergate i know people will say that people said it about fast and furious they said it about benghazi they said it about you know but but what they said was worse than watergate was trump working with the russians to steal the election what was really worse than watergate because that actually didn't happen was the federal government becoming a tool for the left democrat party to try and find a way to destroy Trump's chances of winning the election and then to stop him from being president after he did win the election. It doesn't get any more police state when it comes to surveillance, in a, at least in, in what you would consider to still be a, a Western-style democracy. I know we're a republic, I know, but you know people use these terms. Then the intelligence apparatus turned on the presidential primary campaign or presidential general election it it just does not get dirtier than that and you'll notice that this is just dropped so far out of the headlines and there were people that were building whole careers on that one aha gotcha moment there are people who are building up to 
They're going to be the next, you know, Woodward and Bernstein. They're going to be the next Dan Rather or, you know, whoever was really big in the Watergate era. I don't even know. You know, you go back. All those guys are interchangeable to me. They, that's the greatest, easiest job in the world. Be a, a, a news anchor, to be the middle-aged boomer news anchor guy who's like, today on the news, uh, you know, that's amazing. Give me $10 million. So we don't hear about this anymore, and here's why. They need to wean the public off of it. CNN and MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they have to find a way to start to come up with other narratives, other storylines in case, this is this is for, for insurance purposes really, in case they don't win the House and then do not have the ability to just turn this all into an impeachment question because there's a big tie-in between Kavanaugh and what happened to him and what they're going to do to Trump. I don't. I haven't heard anyone else make this comparison, but this is really important. You heard this when they were going after Kavanaugh. They would say, it's not a legal proceeding. It's not a legal proceeding. And that was a way to try and evade any due process or just basic fairness procedures. Oh, it's not a legal process. It's whatever we say it is. And it's it's all about what we can convince people to do because it's it's really just a battle of rumors, right? It's just, we'll, we'll have people say things. There's no evidence. There's no, there's nothing to, we can't, we're not going to subpoena any evidence from these people. It was all meant to create a parallel process to the legal process that the left can control. Now, impeachment is in fact a parallel process to the legal process that the left can control if they take the house. And that's what they're gearing up for. So whenever we try to have the argument that Trump was not found guilty when it comes to Russia collusion of anything, they're going to say it doesn't matter. This isn't a criminal trial. Trump is guilty of malfeasance, of high crimes and misdemeanors while in office, uh, which is essentially whatever the House of Representatives decides he is guilty of. Now, they can't remove him from office, but the biggest feather in their cap, they think, going into the 2020 election is going to be that President Trump was impeached, right? That President Trump is an impeached president. We have to remove him, get rid of the corruption, get rid of the, uh, you know, the racism and misogyny and sexism and all that stuff that's going on because of Trump, they say, And that's a way to the left to avoid the fact that they don't have compelling arguments on policy matters. They can't meet us on the battlefield of ideas when it comes to policy. So what they do is turn this into a battle of reputational uh, of a reputational fight or somebody's, you know, the, the perception of whether someone is racist or not or perception of whether someone's a misogynist or not. And just, oh, he's icky. Don't vote for him. He's icky. Which is really what they want to convince everybody about Trump all along. But there's a development in this whole Russia thing today. Uh, This is what made me think of this. That a lawyer for Glenn Simpson, this from thehill.com, my my own website where I work. Uh, I don't, when I say my own, I obviously don't own it. I'm an employee. Co-founder of Fusion GPS told the head of the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday 
that his client will invoke his constitutional rights not to testify, defying, defying, what is that? Depy him, take away his pie, defying a GOP-issued subpoena seeking to compel him to give a closed-door deposition. The lawyer, Joshua Levy, told Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlatte in an electronic letter that Simpson will not participate in this committee's inquiry because it is not designed to discover the truth. Hmm. Quote, consistent with the September 27th, 2018 letter we sent you, Mr. Simpson, whose testimony is a matter of public record, will not be participating in a confidential deposition before this committee. This is according to lawyers for Simpson. He will be invoking his right not to testify under the First and Fifth Amendments of the Constitution. Uh, Now, I understand that this is where people will say, based on their politics, well, if you take the Fifth, you must be guilty. That's not fair. The Fifth is a procedural protection. And there are times when I assure you there would be people that you and I are much more favorably disposed toward who would take the fifth, and we would say that's absolutely the right thing to do. So it's not just that he's taking the fifth, but it's that there is such a clear pattern in general of people who were tied to the dossier, people who were early on big advocates of the whole Russia collusion theory with regard to Trump and the election, who want to make sure that that the information does not get out. They don't want to testify. They don't want subpoenas to be declassified. They don't want the release of the FISA information. They don't want the full scope even of Mueller's probe to become public. Well, when that's the situation, I think you do have to ask yourself, what the heck is going on here? You never see a a greater revelation of information from this investigation supported by the people that think that Trump has done terrible things. It's the people that think that Trump has been set up and ambushed here and smeared. They're the ones. They're the ones who want more information out there. They're the ones who want us to be able to get to the facts and get to the truth. So I, I just would note that they are back in office right now because, one, I think that Mueller knows that, you know, to put more kind of, you know, rinky-dink indictments out there, oh, we're going to indict some more Russian sock puppets, you know, they're never going to actually sit in a courtroom. That would look really, to borrow a word from before, icky right before the election. So it won't be till after the election that we get more information, but the, the Democrats are in a little bit of a, of a little bit of a bind here. Because they don't want to overpromise, and and they don't want to make it seem like they're trying to throw this midterm based on all the work that they've already done against Trump. Uh, I think it's too obvious for them, you know. So they're they're laying a little low on the Russia collusion stuff, and the the, the primary, you know, the, the primary narrative against Trump is very much personal, and I think they go more for the Twenty Fifth Amendment lane here than anything else you know they're trying to say that trump is just unfit for office instead of trump is a putin puppet but i will keep an eye on this and my colleagues at the hill who have been breaking a lot of these stories uh they've got more coming up i really do hope and i'm holding out hope that trump declassifies those fisa documents and the investigation origin documents that that i think he should do before the election because in my opinion that could be a game changer If you've ever found yourself wincing at the weak sauce taste of coffee from one of those left-leaning commie corporate brands, 
You probably thought to yourself, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom reform policy, and other things that defy common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you need Black Rifle coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day. In fact, it's such delicious coffee that usually I'm a guy who throws a little milk in his coffee. But you know what? With Black Rifle, I'll just go straight black, my friends. That's how I get the day started now. It tastes delicious. This is small batch roast-to-order coffee. Everyone listening to this who's a coffee drinker should take this to heart. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. And also you can join the coffee club. They'll have it sent to your door each month. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. It is time for us as Democrats to be as tough as they are, to be as dedicated as they are, to be as committed as they are. But Michelle Witt says that, you know, when they go low, we go up. No, no. When they go low, we kick them. That's what, that's what this new Democratic Party is about. You better be careful what he's wishing for, that I can tell you. He's better be careful what he's wishing what do you for. Mean? That's a disgusting statement for him to make. For him to make a statement like that is a very dangerous statement. You know, they talk about us. We are exactly opposite. You know, the rallies, they used to send in uh, protesters. Paid the Democrats protesters, would send them? And the Democrats and Soros, and they came from all over. And we'd have protesters. And I would say this, that it wasn't so successful for those protesters. But they have to be careful with the rhetoric because it's very dangerous what Holder says now, I know that this then kicks off a whole conversation about, well, one, did, did Holder really mean to kick people? I, I, I think that it's irresponsible for him to say that in the context of what's going on right now, the, the heat of the political moment that we're in. Uh, but he, he certainly could say that he was using it as a rhetorical flourish because I, I don't like when people say, oh, you're, you're targeting this congressional district or you, you're waging a campaign that's, that's martial rhetoric. You're talking about politics. You know, we, we have to be able to speak, but we also have to be held accountable for our words and we have to be honest about what we're really saying and what we're really advocating for. I think that uh, Eric Holder is a very good reminder for everybody of how the Obama administration approached things like the Department of Justice where Holder would say that he was Obama's wingman. I mean, that that was from his own mouth. He said that. Holder's job was to protect the administration. Holder's job was not the administration of justice. And as we know from the Fast and Furious debacle, justice was never top of mind for Eric Holder's DOJ. But this kick them when they, you know, when they go low, we kick them. I mean, this this idea that the left has to fight fire with fire just goes to show you how delusional they are. You know, th- this this is this reminds me of somebody. I don't know if you ever had a had a friend like that. And this is true of the Democrats and the left generally. Uh, you had the editor in chief of Politico write that you know now the gloves come off after the Kavanaugh hearing. If calling somebody on completely bogus, nonsensical allegations a gang rapist, you know, from thirty five years ago. If that's not gloves coming off, I need to know what is. Because if that's not gloves coming off, the only step I can think of is, in fact, violence, is tyranny, is force in place of the law. And when you have people gathering in mobs outside the Supreme Court, gathering mobs at restaurants, that 
and mob is the appropriate word, that does feel like something different. That does feel like a, a break in our uh, expectations of, of what is acceptable in, in politics. But this idea that they have to fight fire, that essentially they have to play dirty because our side is playing dirty, this is crazy. I mean, this is Looney Tunes. To say that after the cat, to say it in general is attached from reality. He, he, let's, let's just do this. Let, let's play a little game. Give me the equivalent on the other side, all right? And I know I can't hear you all across the country on our 125 stations and a large streaming audience on iHeartRadio app uh, and the podcast audience. Ho! Podcast audience. Make sure you tell your friends to listen to podcasts about the show, by the way. Buck Sexton on Apple Podcasts. Great way to go. Uh, but let's play this little game together. Think of, and you can say it out loud if you want, although you're like, Buck, that's weird. Why? You can't hear me. But, you know, it's, you know, it's uh, get, get, in the, get in the feel of the game, you know? What is the conservative equivalent to Antifa? Answer, there is none. They will say things like, oh, the Tea Party. I'm like, ah, the Tea Party involved no property destruction, no threats of violence. It involved a uh, certain aspects of a kind of historical restoration, meaning people believed in you know restoring the ideals of the founding. And so, yeah, there were some tri-corner hats and some founding fathers paraphernalia, but, you know, D.C. is full of that, too. I mean, it's on our money, folks, right? There's a lot of founding fathers paraphernalia. That's why they're the founding fathers. Was anyone ever under threat at a Tea Party rally? Did Tea Partiers show up at random politicians, you know, private moments when they were having dinner at their homes and say that they were going to follow them? Were Republican politicians saying get in their faces? And Oh, no. Okay. So whenever I hear that, oh, the Tea Party, that was anger and hate, you know, that was hateful. They were talking about the debt and the deficit and constitutionalism and stealing from future generations. Now, I will say a legitimate criticism of the Tea Party movement, although it did just deliver us the house and thank you, Tea Party. But a legitimate criticism of that movement is that it is it fizzled when it comes to fiscal responsibility. And I do think that this is going to be a very, very big problem for us. And nobody wants to deal with it right now because it's just not popular. Nobody wants to be the one that says, yeah, you know what? Uh, we, we can't keep spending like drunken sailors. Everybody wants to be the party of all the money you have. But anyway, there's no conservative equivalent to Antifa. Um, there's no conservative equivalent to the calls from politicians, people like Maxine Waters, People, uh, you know, people like Hirono who won't, you know, not only will they, some of them call for getting up in people's faces, which is very aggressive, which is really calling for what is borderline assault. You know, this is like uh, when people will do things on the street where they will follow you and get up in your face and they want you to sign something. And then, you know, the moment that I try to step around someone and then they try to step in front of me again, that's now getting aggressive. Now they're actually threatening my personal space, right? I mean, you know, the, the line between I want to be verbally aggressive and I'm actually showing aggression where you have to be in fear of your safety is much murkier than a lot of Democrats want to pretend it is right now. But you even have the Hironos of the world who won't, won't call it out, won't shout it down. They won't say, you know what, we shouldn't do this. They'll just say, well, you know, people are angry. This is what people are going to do. This is what they want to do, so... You know, it, it is what it is. I mean, that, that really 
That is the attitude that you get from them. Um, you know, where's the corollary? So you don't have the corollary or the um, the analogous position on the right when it comes to politicians. There's no right wing version of Antifa. There's no right wing version of the Democrats who are saying get up in people's faces and follow them home. There's no right wing version of lunatic protesters who show up wearing genitalia on top of their heads and and screaming and shrieking at Senate committee hearings. You know, uh, there's there's none of that. We don't do that. And so I think it's important to take a moment for all of us to say there this isn't a both sides thing. This mob mentality, this shrieking and threatening and crazy behavior, this is a problem predominantly and overwhelmingly of the left. And it's going to be a problem for them at the polls unless they can lie to enough Americans and act like this isn't a problem. So we won't let that happen, folks. We won't let them get away with it. I'll bet you it costs me. You know, I see these people say, oh, Trump gets rich being president. I'll bet you I've lost billions of dollars. It's cost me billions. I said to one of my friends, a very wealthy friend, I said, you know, I'll bet you it cost me two or three billion dollars and it's worth every penny of it. I don't need the money and it's worth every penny because I'm doing so much for the country. Yes, it's it's nasty. It's vicious. It's incredible. The false reporting is so incredible. But honestly, I'm doing a great job. And that's why I have these crowds. These crowds aren't showing up if I don't do a good job. They see the difference. When they pick up two, $3,000 more from taxes, all of a sudden out of nowhere, right. they're getting $2,000 more. That's a lot of money to people. And I, I think that there are a lot, of, a lot of people who hate Trump. As I've said to you many times, because he is so far a successful president, meaning that that they they hate him even more now that it is clear that he's actually up to the task. I mean, they, they can say as much as they want about, how, oh, Trump, the 25th Amendment, we should get rid of him. But they really despise this man because he's been able to do such a strong job in the position. Now, forget about they'll say his tone is terrible. He's a racist. And oh, my gosh. And they'll bring up all this stuff. The country and how it functions right now is strong. It's going well. Everything is moving in the, I shouldn't say everything, but in general, there is a feeling of optimism about the nation, uh, certainly optimism about the, the economy. Uh, but they, they despise Trump. And I, I also think that when we start to evaluate, why is it we've had some of these, we've, uh, there's a couple of phenomena, these are related, and, and I'm just really thinking out loud on this one, but it's something that's been on my mind for a while, team. So I'll share it with you. You know, you have these these never Trumper types who have some of them have gone straight up Democrat now. I mean, they have actually switched teams officially, although a lot of them might as well have switched teams. I mean, they, they can say they're not never Trump, but for all intents and purposes, they are. Uh, but why is it that they um, they hate this president so much and that there are so many people who come from not exclusively government backgrounds, but I, I think come from backgrounds where they've spent time in government and they're of the system and of the establishment and they hate this guy. I really do think that they hate him because, one, he isn't supposed to be able to do this. And I can tell you that there's a lot of people in the government who really like to think that they have some magic powers of, of thought and, and organization and management uh, that other people don't have, right? That, that one, once you become a government employee long enough, because you, you become 
culturally acclimated from being within this bureaucracy to think that there's something that, you know, you have to be in government to understand government. That's that's essentially the the distillation of this point. You have to be in government to understand it. You know, you have to have been a Beltway insider or you've had to had to run for elected office time and time again. Essentially, you've got to be part of the professional political class, not necessarily a politician, but part of the professional political class in order to be competent in these roles. And it's just not true. And I think that makes a lot of people who have power in this country, a lot of people who are part of the elites and the establishment, to feel uncomfortable because they've built their careers and their reputations on the notion that, well, you know, I've, you know, the the, the, the Gergen effect, oh, I worked for you know, 15 presidents, advisor to every president and since advising was a word and, was, you know, used to ride in a horse and buggy whip to get to the office. And, you know, you get these guys who the whole, their whole resume is this long stretch of government work and, and different government jobs. The idea being, well, they must understand, they must make better decisions. They must know this stuff better than somebody like a Trump who just has existed in the private sector in the real world and hasn't made this crossover in, into public service. And, I, and I, I don't think I'm overstating it when I say that there's a real resentment of this. And, I, and I'm really aware of it now that I'm in the swamp in D.C. They really don't like that this president is able to do this because he's not supposed to be able to do this. He he brings out, Trump brings out, how else do I put this, the insecurity of losers in a way that is very clarifying. Um, and I don't mean people that aren't rich. I don't, you know, that has nothing to do with being a loser or, or being a winner. I mean people who lack self-confidence, people who lack the, the, the true belief that, they know who they are. They believe in what they can do. And, you know, whether you're, you know, a garbage man or a heart surgeon, you know, you can and should have confidence and swagger in who you are and what you do every day. And I find that those people like Trump, you know, the, the, the people who are, are, are comfortable in who they are. And yes, they feel like the culture has been unfair to them in many ways. You know, the progressive leftist echo chamber of of the media and hollywood's been unfair to them and and, and I, I agree with all that um but it's the people i find who consider themselves to be great consider themselves to be elite and and hold positions that are elite but know deep down that they're not re they didn't really earn it or they're, they're not really as awesome as they think they are i think trump as a general rule makes them uncomfortable and I, point two, I know I said point one about 10 minutes ago, so you might have lost that one. Point one is just that he's not supposed to be able to do this, and he can do this, and he is doing it. And the second point goes more to what, what we opened with there, where he's saying he's lost money being president. Here's a, a, little, a little secret that I know from my time in government. For a lot of people, government is not about public service. For a lot of people, it's about uh, getting on a pathway to wealth and influence and for a lot and for other people who already have wealth and influence it's really just about ego now i'm not saying trump doesn't have an ego trump has a very big ego i mean I, trump's ego is probably as big as anybody you're ever going to find uh and i and i so i'm i'm not delusional about trump at all i'm aware of the fact that but i think to have that job you have to have a certain sense of your own 
uh, well, your own worth is understanding it. You know, your own greatness. You have to believe in your own greatness. Maybe you believe you're called to greatness by the role, but you have to believe that that you have it within you. Um, and that's why I think humility for people who are in power is such an attractive trait because we all know that there's a little bit of the I'm amazing, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. But on this on this issue, though, of government service, Trump didn't need this. Trump wasn't somebody who, if he didn't win the presidency, he hadn't had the career he wanted or he hadn't had the life he wanted. To the contrary, I think that Trump ran really to make a point in a lot of ways, at least early on, and then realized, oh, my gosh, this point that I'm making is so powerful that I could win this thing. Right, but I, it was never like he he never needed the presidency. He thought he would do a good job in the presidency. And that's different. That's different. You know, I think that people, I, you know, I think, for example, someone like Jeb Bush. I think he needs the presidency because he's had two family members who have had it. And there'll be a sense of inadequacy. He's never going to, by the way. But I think he'll have a sense of inadequacy if he does not reach that that pinnacle of political power. I, I think that he'll feel like he's, you know, Falling short of W, W, W. What do you say, Mike? Please clap. Exactly. So you know, I, I think he's somebody who, obviously, Hillary Clinton. As as I've said to you, Hillary Clinton has a hole in her soul that only money and power can fill, and that's why for someone like that, the lack of of winning a pre, winning a presidential contest is just so crushing to her. Although it also is a thing that I think drives her on. I still think she's going to run number three, time three. I still think she's going to try to get another go. Call me crazy as much as you want. I'll st- I still think she's going to do it. I don't think Hillary's decided that you know, she's no longer in the game. She's out there now going, you know, almost full Antifa in terms of what she's saying. You know, she's like, yeah, we're not going to be civil anymore. Sorry. Well, that that's that's not the words of somebody that's looking to just be on the book tour and and have some quiet golden years. That's not what you'd expect there at all. But, you know, this is really the, the different aspects of Trump that upset the media, upset the political class. Uh, you have to understand those because that's where so much of the ferocity against him comes from. It's really personal. It's really about how they don't like Trump. His policies, for the most part, are pretty mainstream GOP. The judges he picks are mainstream GOP, as we've seen. You know, the judges he picks are mainstream. The uh, the, the tax cuts were very, ma- you know, there, there's nothing that he's actually done. Deregulation, all this, that's outside of what would be considered within Republican norms. And nothing that he says he's going to, nothing that he rather has done is really shocking at all that anyone who's been paying attention to politics. It's the way he says it and it's who he is. That's what really sets them off and, and, you know, I start to think that it also is it's not just that there's there's some joy that I take. and I'm sure you feel the same way. There's some joy that you probably take as well from watching Trump just trigger the libs. I mean, he is a giant trigger of libs. I mean, he is the ultimate melter of snowflakes. Uh, that's entertaining to be sure. But I also think there's a part of this where he off balances them. He unbalances them. You could say he makes them kind of crazy, right? He. He puts them on their back feet in a way that they're not used to with any Republican politician, with anybody that they would consider the political opposition. And that's really part of his X factor. He gets under their skin so much. 
And they're not used to it. They're used to just being the cool kids in the cafeteria that everybody wants to sit next to. They're not used to somebody coming by, flipping their hat off their head and calling them a bunch of punks. And Trump's amazing for doing it. Hurricane reports on Hurricane Michael. Uh, unbelievably destructive, powerful. It was the fastest hurricane anybody's seen. It just was speedy. If it wasn't, there'd be absolutely nothing left. As I just spoke with Governor Scott there, very happy. Uh, food is being now following the hurricane, being now brought in. Uh, we have unbelievable large amounts of water and food and everything that people can want. The electric companies have been uh, terrific. They're already working. Uh, the roads are being cleared out. Many trees are in the path of the electric companies. Uh, the roads are being cleaned right now. They're being, uh, for the most part, uh, they're open enough to get the electric companies in. And a lot of electricity is already back on. Some of the off electricity is already back on. That's in Florida. They're following up in Georgia. So the uh, Trump administration is showing competence in doing what the federal government can to help respond in a situation like this. Obviously, it was a, a really nasty hurricane. It was a two, and then it came up with Category 4 winds. It moved really fast. Uh, but one interesting Side note to this, and the first priority, the first thought of, of everybody is getting help to those who need it and making sure that there's no or minimum loss of life. I think there have been two lives lost so far. Uh, but as we know, it can often be the aftermath where much of the damage is done in terms of the human cost. Uh, but Hurricane Michael uh, hit, and there used to be this, I guess you'd call it a gentleman's agreement, a gentleman's agreement among politicians that oh, when something like this goes on, you will you will cease the political attack ads. That was not the case here, folks. Uh, you had Ron DeSantis's rival Andrew Gillum getting hit with some uh, some ads. You had uh, the the Democratic super PAC that's trying to help Bill Nelson in Florida take down his opponent, Governor Rick uh, Rick Scott. They called him a shady millionaire in the ad. By the way, John, I'd like to be a shady millionaire. That sounds like fun, you know. Being a millionaire would be great, but a shady millionaire? It sounds like you're the kind of millionaire that has parties on his yacht and has a little too much fun. So I think that sounds good to me. But uh, they're running these these attack ads, um, and and people are pointing out that, that this is a different thing than what you, you would usually expect. Remember, they're not just running attack ads. They're running attack ads in the state that is getting just battered while it was getting battered by this hurricane and they're running ads specifically on the opponent's inability to respond to the hurricane so usually you wait for a politicization of these things and look a hurricane response is fair game to criticize politicians for i'm not saying that but usually you wait for the politics to fly until until literally the storm has passed and in this case the uh, the candidates were running these ads even while the while the storm was was overhead and people were trying to either batten down the hatches or or uh, wait until they could return to their homes. By the way, the, the footage of it is just the devastation. I, I know that you know the, the news channels because it's there's such a visceral human reaction to seeing. You know, we all think what would it be like if I lost my home? What would it feel like if I had to flee a natural disaster like this? And so when you see those images, you're immediately drawn to it. And I, and I know that there's something of a of a news cliche here with all the coverage going on of of a of a hurricane like this. But there there was this political backstory to it, which which I think also 
uh, illuminates how tight these Florida races are. People are going to look to the Florida governor's race uh, and between Gillum and, and Scott, and they're going to look to the, the Senate race, um, and they're going to try to extrapolate from that for the implications for the presidential race in 2020. You know, the idea here being that Gillum, who's a, a young African-American guy, mayor of Tallahassee, very progressive, very left wing, I think would be really damaging to the state of Florida with the policies that he's proposing. And he's one of these guys who's, you know, he, he if he's not outward, I think he is for single payer outwardly. So I, I should probably, but if he's not outwardly for single payer, he might as well be. Uh, but, you know, they they certainly are drawing some comparisons between him and Barack Obama. He's young, he's telegenic, he's African-American. Um and and that's what the progressive base wants to see in their new candidates. They want to see you know minority representation. They want females. They want uh, and specifically for those reasons, you know, conservatives. We, we like having people from all backgrounds, but we just like having the best people. Uh, identity politics is is such a big factor on the left these days that they really get very excited about this stuff. But the Florida races are going to be very very tight and and so tight that. They're not wasting even a single day while they're getting slammed by a Category 4 hurricane to take the ads, uh, take the negative ads off the air. So I think that gives you a sense of of where that all is. And uh, I, I do believe Scott's going to pull it out, but this Gillum guy, he's going to make uh, he's going to make it close. He's going to make it very close. Oh, I've, I've got something, by the way, that I've been meaning to get to all week with you. Um, and I just have been waiting to have a night where you know, I'd had the time to read in and we could really dig into it together. I want to talk to you about this assassination of alleged assassination right now of a critic, a Saudi national critic of Saudi Arabia's monarchy and what's going on inside the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. A crazy and brutal and just bizarre story. That's coming up. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why, my friends, I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet, and turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. By the way, that protection costs less than $7 a month. It's rated the number one service by TechRadar. ExpressVPN is for you. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck. Three months free with a one-year package. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly neat and out. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Yeah, there'll, there'll be something that has to take place. First, I want to find out what happened. And we're looking. Again, this took place in Turkey. And to the best of our knowledge, uh, Khashoggi is not a United States citizen. Is that right? Or is that right? He's a permanent resident. Okay. We don't like it, John. We don't like it. And we don't like it even a little bit. But as to whether or not we should stop $110 billion from being spent in this country, knowing they have 
four or five alternatives, two very good alternatives, that would not be acceptable to me. Okay, but we're looking for the answer, and I think probably you'll have an answer sooner than people think. Thank you very much. What happened to Saudi national and uh, outspoken critic of the Saudi regime, Jamal Khashoggi? That is a question that is getting more attention than ever. Was he, in fact, lured? Was he, in fact, lured into the Saudi consulate in Turkey and brutally murdered and cut up into pieces? This is turning into a very big deal. And let me get into a bit of why that is the case. Uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, is someone who some of you may be familiar with. He had almost 2 million Twitter followers. He was a Washington Post columnist, and he had become a critic of the man known as MBS, uh, who is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, so he's a guy who runs the country now. He, he is the premier in Saudi for all intents and purposes. And there had been criticism of him for a while now by by Khashoggi, uh, who had been saying all the, all the pretty usual stuff about how the Saudi regime is repressive and how you're not allowed to well you're not allowed to criticize the regime obviously, and now everyone is is completely up in arms certainly in the press corps as they should be by the way I mean I I'm with I'm as with the press as anybody on you you can't have foreign heads of state calling for the assassination of journalists on the soil of, period, but also on the soil of another country, of another sovereign state. In this case, on the soil of a NATO ally. Uh, Now, the the Turkish government is causing its own problems for us, and there's certainly reason to be concerned about the U.S. relationship with Turkey more broadly. But at the end of the day, it is a it is a sovereign state that has a pretty well functioning intelligence apparatus that the Saudis would have done this. We haven't talked about this in the show, so let me take a, a moment here to tell you what the the events as we know them are as as follows. Um, there was a Khashoggi had was getting married and he needed to get a marriage license for his. Uh, for a Saudi marriage license, essentially. So he went to, because he's marrying this young, uh, this woman, he went to the Istanbul consulate and his fiance was waiting for him outside and he never came out. And after a few hours, she called uh, a contact and she was worried and then the police got involved. And what's happened since then is a information's come out that a team of about 15 hitmen uh, who were believed to be carrying Saudi diplomatic passports, arrived on two private jets. Some of them are from MBS's personal security detail, according to press reports, including one who has an expertise in autopsies. Yeah, you can imagine. And the, the stories that we're reading right now, not entirely confirmed, but the stories that we're reading involve a brutal murder of I haven't read yet how, but I, I would guess they probably, you know, tortured and, and beat him to death. A brutal murder and then dismembering his body, putting his body parts into bags and disposing of them. And in fact, one Mideast space paper, although it's 
It's funded by the Qatari, so it's, you know, take it with a grain of salt. One Mideast-based paper claims they have a source telling them that the body parts of Khashoggi, so the anti-Saudi journalist that's been murdered, that's missing, that's now turned into this global story, his body parts may be buried in the residence of the consul general of uh, of Saudi Arabia in Turkey. So this guy essentially is a senior Saudi official may may have these body parts buried in his backyard. I mean, this is crazy, folks. Right? I mean, this is if you read about this in a fiction novel, you'd say, "Come on, that's so that's so outrageous." Not only is this not you know this is not the kind of guy you can disappear. And I, and I want to get into a little bit of, well, what does that tell us about the Saudi motivations here? By the way, the Saudis are saying that what we'd expect, which is, of course, you know, they think that he left and they don't they don't they don't accept any responsibility for this. Nothing happened. This is all crazy conspiracy theories. You know, you can assume all that. Uh, but and then, then I'll get into some of the complicating factors here. But the Turks have pretty good intelligence and police forces. And plenty of surveillance cameras and other ways of figuring out what went on here. And for the Saudis to do this on Turkish soil, instead of trying to lure Khashoggi back to Saudi Arabia, if he went to Saudi, all bets would be off. We wouldn't, you know, he would have just disappeared and nobody would know. So they did this in Turkey. Uh, well, keep in mind that uh, Khashoggi was a permanent resident of the U.S. now. He had gone into a, a self-imposed a self-imposed exile of sorts here in the States. But that the Saudis would do this is so brazen. And now you have all these different politicians. You know, Lindsey Graham said they'll be held to pay. You know, and I like Lindsey now, as you know. Hey, hey, I like Lindsey. He did the right thing in the Kavanaugh hearing. I mean, I've always been okay with Lindsey Graham, but now I'm I'm pretty pro Lindsey. But people are saying there's going to be held to pay. Uh, it seems increasingly likely that the Saudis will just deny, 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 but the overwhelming weight of the evidence is that this was a a brutal, broad daylight, you know, hours assassination inside a diplomatic facility on another country's soil. This is the kind of stuff that, that you do cut off, you know, relations with a foreign country for because they believe that this was most likely ordered at the very top of the Saudi government, or at least there was consent for it given at the very top level of Saudi government, perhaps by MBS himself. This is crazy. This does not happen. And people will say, oh, but the Russians. Yeah, the Russians have engaged in assassinations of critics, and, and but they, they are, tend to be former Russian nationals. They've done it in the UK, I know, but they've never done it in the, their former Russian nationals, which this guy is a former Saudi national, but it's a former Russian national and... They never do it in a diplomatic facility, though. And they certainly wouldn't send multiple private jets with Russian officials. I'm not saying that the, the Russians are too ethical for this. They're just not so foolish as to do this. But then you get to the buck. The, then you get to the buck. Then you get to the point where you have to ask yourself, well, hold on a second. Did the Saudis do it this way to send a, an even stronger message? I, I often tell you on this show, and or I've said in the past, that you know, sometimes burning down one village sends an even stronger message, you know, or burning down the whole village and not just one house obviously sends a stronger message, too. But you don't have to burn down everything. You can just make an example of one. And here you have a very high profile critic, Washington Post columnist, who was writing about 
all of the really what what is a mafia state. I mean, the Saudis are a mafia state with a religious veneer. I mean, but Saudi Arabia is a is a a kleptocracy. You know, the ruling family has enriched itself to the tune of who knows how many billions of I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars over the course of of decades. The Saudi family is incredibly rich and. The Saudis are, as you know, very repressive. It goes all the way back to the unholy, although they would have thought it was holy, alliance between the uh, fundamentalist preacher on the Arabian Peninsula, Ibn Abdul Wahhab from the 18th century. I believe he was born in 1702. I think he lived about 1792, or maybe 1782. So 18th century preacher who made this deal with the Sauds who were desert warlords. And that's how you get Saudi Arabia. But they merge together this religious, uh, this religious extremism, which is known as Wahhabism, but they, they don't like that term. They prefer Salafism. Salaf means the forefathers of the uh, Muslim faith. So they say it's Salafism. It's fundamentalism, essentially. It's Islamic fundamentalism. And uh, or Islamic you know, literalism, textualism, although even that is kind of difficult to decipher because if you ever read the Quran, there's a lot of, hmm? Um, but they killed, they, they, they've killed this guy now. And it's going to cause some major problems on the international diplomatic scene. I'll, I'll get into why and what the, what the end result of all this will be in just a moment. We'll talk more about this, what looks to be most brazen, high-profile assassination of a journalist that, that I can remember. Stay with me. Social media sites are the future of conversation, my friends. We know this. I use it as a powerful tool in reaching out to you and spreading the word about this show. And you use it among your friends and family to share your thoughts on everything that matters to you. But we've seen so much of the left-wing bias at play in the last few years. We know that Facebook and Google and these other massive social media enterprises have all kinds of left-wing conversational health shadow banning nonsense going on. If you want to put a stop to that, we've got a new site for you, snippy.com. Snippy.com is a place where you can go and share whatever thoughts you want. You don't have to worry about moderators, administrators, suppressing your freedom of expression. Totally free to join. Check it out for yourself. S-N-I-P-P-Y. That's snippy.com. Again, snippy.com. No censorship, no nonsense. Get the conversation started. What do we do now? What will the Trump administration do? What will the rest of the world do if, it, if, in fact, it is irrefutable that the Saudi government ordered the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, this, this dissident, this critic? Uh, the truth is there's very little that I think will be done because we have shifted our dependence on Saudi in one very important way, but we've also increased our dependence on Saudi in another very important way. There are really only two reasons we care about Saudi Arabia, oil and regional security. Everything else about the Saudis, we obviously are not only not in favor of, but I had a colleague in my government days used to refer to Saudi as the heartland of hate. There's a lot of very bad stuff going on there. No doubt you've read and seen the read and seen uh, about the public square beheadings and women can't drive and all the different repressive laws about Christianity and sexuality. I mean, it's just 
it's probably second only to North Korea in terms of its overall level of totalitarianism. I can't think of another state that is as repressive as Saudi Arabia um, other than North Korea, which is in a class by itself. So what exactly are we going to do about Saudi Arabia? The problem is we have gotten way less dependent on them to be this kingmaker, so to speak, in the global oil markets. You know, Saudi output was something we would turn to and say, all right, you know, you've got an OPEC was really feared by the U.S. I mean, OPEC was such an economic force for a long time. But now because of the shale oil revolution, thanks, drill, baby, drill, we are way less dependent on Saudi oil, not just for our own needs, but really for just the global marketplace. We are now the world's preeminent energy superpower. It's one of the reasons why I think the economy has done so much better in the last decade or so than a lot of people would have anticipated. We are an energy superpower now. Number, We're number one. There's really nobody else that can, can claim that title. If you had asked 20 years ago, people would have said the Saudis because of their oil. Although the Russians, in, with hydrocarbons in general, when you add natural gas into the and oil into the mix, are, are, have always had a lot of it. But this, So we don't need the Saudis as much for energy. But here's the, the exchange that we've made now. Now we need the Saudis much more in order to balance the Iranians in the region. We used to lean on Egypt, and Egypt and Israel were really the centerpiece of our Mideast foreign policy and, and security strategy. That now has, has changed. Egypt is just not the power it once was. It's not as reliable for us as it was. And the Saudis have been buying up a whole heck of a lot of U.S. military hardware for quite some time, which unfortunately we've seen at work in the conflict in Yemen, where you've had thousands and thousands of civilians killed in these these airstrikes in a, in a civil war that does not look like it's going to end anytime soon. But we want the Saudis to be in the mix because we need the Saudis to be able to stare across the border at Iran and say, you know, don't, don't step out of line. Uh, and we want the Saudis to be a counterbalance because they are the primary Sunni Muslim force in the Mideast now. And obviously the primary Iran, I mean, the primary Shia Muslim force in the Mideast is Iran. So we, we really do want this, this balance of, of powers uh, because otherwise we feel like we're going to be the ones that are working alone to try and box in Iranian proxies and, and prevent a kind of Shia crescent from becoming a realization that could be a very real strategic threat to Israel, to us, and to our, our interests more broadly. So that's where I get to the, I don't think we're going to do very much about this. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of interest in taking major action. You see a lot of tough talk about this. Trump is saying it makes him very uncomfortable. He doesn't like it. But no administration, I think, would do all that much about this. Uh, there won't be any judicial proceeding, I don't think. The Saudis would never extradite anybody under uh, these circumstances to us. They're not going to extradite people that were traveling under diplomatic passports to the uh, Turkish authorities for a trial there. Uh, an interesting side note that you won't hear, I think, on any other show, Khashoggi has, he's not, a, look, he, he was murdered, it was terrible, but just if you want a little more background on him, he's actually very pro-Muslim Brotherhood. He's very pro-Islamist. He is not a liberal in the Western sense of the term. And, and often Western journalists make this mistake. They think that just because somebody isn't on board with the uh, old school 
Mideast strongman authoritarian regimes that they must be, you know, pro democracy, pro women's rights. In fact, Khashoggi was very opposed to democracy. Uh, he wanted, uh, I'm sorry, very, very opposed to liberalism. He saw democracy only as a means of instituting Sharia. Um, he was somebody that that believed in using the democratic process to achieve theocracy, whereas what you have in Saudi Arabia is essentially Salafism without elections. He wanted Salafism, but people voting on it first. As you know, once you get to that, uh, once you get to that place of, of having a theocracy, elections tend not to last very long in any meaningful way because you don't have the civil society below them to allow for the kind of conversation that would result in democratic processes being meaningful. So Khashoggi is not this liberal reformer that a lot of journalists are talking about, not, not, not at all, but he was a critic of the Saudi regime. And, you know, you have this geopolitical reality, and then there's the, another reality. And I can say it here, but I can tell you that a lot of places you won't hear much criticism of this. You won't hear it talked about as a story even. The Saudis have really spent a tremendous amount of money Investing in media in this country, major corporations, they're huge shareholders in major corporations, and they also have invested a tremendous amount in some of our most prestigious universities. So they have an influence in cultural and information-based institutions here that allows them to mute the criticism. And that's something that we should all be aware of. Uh, the Saudis have bought into American American media in ways that lets them call the shots. And you won't hear it talked about because they're calling a lot of the shots. They've written very, very big checks and are not shy about throwing their weight around on these issues. So keep that in mind, because when you look at what's going on with Saudi and you look at how friendly all administrations stretching back really for a century now in America are to Saudi Arabia, it's remarkable. I mean, this is... The, the arguably the second most totalitarian state on the planet, and we act like they're a bunch of good buddies of ours. And it's just for reasons of short-term self-interest, but we should at least be able to be honest about what's really going on there. And I think the murder of this journalist might start that conversation. I could say I'm the most bullied person on the world. You think you're the most bullied person in the world? One of them. If you really see what people are saying about me, that's why I... You know, my Be Best initiative is focusing on um, social media and online behavior. We need to educate the children of uh, social emotional behavior so when they grow up and they know how to deal with those issues. And I got to tell you, I think that the, the first lady, uh, first of all, she, she's right in saying that she gets just really mistreated by a lot of folks out there. She's really never been treated like a first lady. Uh, there's a, a very widespread, both in the open and behind closed doors, uh, ongoing mockery and undermining of her from a mainstream press that seems to just want to discount that she was a successful model, that she speaks, I think, five languages, and is an immigrant who is now the first lady of the United States. That's just never the story with her. They always jump past all of that, and they say, oh, you know, she's a third wife, and she has a funny accent and all this stuff. But even putting that aside from her, because we know that there's just a, a different uh, set of expectations 
that the media has for uh, Republican versus Democrat first families. When, when you compare Michelle Obama's lunch program uh, with w- what I think the first lady right now, Melania, is trying to accomplish, online bullying really is a, is a scourge. And it's a, a cultural issue that is relatively new and that I, I think is corrosive to our society. Uh, whereas the, the Michelle, I for, I've forgotten some of the visuals. I'm trying to bring them back right now to talk to you. Uh, but Michelle Obama's lunch thing was, yeah, let's just tell kids that they all have to eat like boiled kale. That's going to go over really well. If, if you saw some of the, the lunch initiatives the First Lady was pushing and what she thought kids were going to eat, I mean, yeah, theoretically, you could tell people to have two baby carrots, uh, some alfalfa sprouts, and an apple, and maybe a tiny a tiny packet of, of almond butter and say that that's lunch. But I, I don't think that's necessarily going to take off in terms of popularity. I'm not sure you've, you've solved... solved uh, you know, child nutritional issues in our schools by essentially making sure they're going to be hungry and not enjoy lunchtime. But online bullying is a very, a very real thing. And, and I just wonder how this is one of these things that I think about in advance. You know, how do parents even deal with this? It's bad enough that kids get bullied in school in the old fashioned way. I really can't even begin to, to fathom how I would handle having a kid who was getting really badly bullied and it's not just kids who are bullied, as we know. I mean, there are there are adults who are just relentlessly cyber harassed. I'm really in favor of uh, of accountability uh, for people who are going to do that. Meaning, I think that these social media companies, instead of just saying, "Oh, well, you know, we're going to block," they should be like, "Well, look, if if you don't stop this behavior, we're going to give your IP address to the person being harassed, and then they have the right to sue you." Right? We're going to make it harder for people to just get away with this behavior. They've gotten a lot better. I mean, the different platforms, I will say, now seem to, well, they've overcorrected a bit by going after political speech. But stuff that's really personal and threatening and, and violent, uh, that that should be uh, sifted out by these by these companies. And I know that then that forces this big First Amendment discussion of, well, what's, what's uh, really going to be cut out what is going to be edited from the conversation as a result of all this i know it, it's not easy uh, but i just think that that the first lady bring it bringing it back to home base here for a moment i think the first lady gets a gets a raw deal i think that people are um she she keeps a pretty low profile all things considered and i, I even when she has little moments where they say she's being a bit uh what's rebellious from the trump orbit you can tell that the, that the media just has no real affinity for her, no real respect for her, uh, and it's and it's a shame. Uh, it's a shame that that's the case, and I think that that's also why you're seeing a a a shift now away from covering the sort of a, a away from covering a lot of the palace intrigue stuff because people are tired of it, and I think that they feel like the first lady is staying away from that too she's like look i'm not i'm not a part of that because the stories are it's all the same stories oh so and so is going to get fired or oh we heard from someone that uh that's that this person in the white house said this about this other person it's just all nonsense it's all garbage and i i do think that there's been this really active effort not just to undermine the white house through those kinds of stories but also to just just always it's it's sometimes subtle but to be snubbing 
Melania Trump and and never really she has not been embraced by the media by the culture at all which given that she is the most beautiful first lady I think in the history of the country is kind of a surprise isn't it I mean if you're just thinking about it from a fashion and culture perspective uh, but it is what it is my friends roll call coming up team buck it's time for roll call indeed the roll call that's where we're at right now uh just want to also remind you all please do sign up for the live event i'll be doing next week october 24th if you want to learn about where the markets are going and what you should do with your money folks at stansbury research have an incredible presentation for you all i would really encourage you to sign up totally free you can watch the whole presentation buckevent.com again buckevent.com let's get to it team by the way you might even have an appearance by fake ariana those of you who have heard the stansbury podcast know what i'm talking about fake ariana huffington might be there all right, let's get to it. Um, first off, we have Rita, who writes in at facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Welcome back. Like someone said last night, you need to find a way to do your show from a car, a plane, or a rental scooter. As an aside, are those scooters fast enough to outrun and outmaneuver any mob of mostly peaceful protesters? By the way, after his lunch with Mr. Trump today, I can feel Kanye changing he's making himself a target and i hope he's strong enough to withstand the ugliness he's forgotten that all members of a demographic group are assigned their opinions and must not deviate whether it's blacks hispanics lgbt white men hispanics all the rest shields high uh rita thank you so much for writing in and i am going to try to figure out a way to be able to do the podcast from uh, my hotel room wherever i may be i'm not planning any travel anytime soon but I would really like to uh, be able to, you know, be able to to record wherever I am. Usually, because iHeart, the company I work for, iHeart Media, has studios all across the country. If I'm in a city, I'm good to go. It's just the question of plane travel time and then getting to a studio. Um, but I will certainly, I'm, I'm working on it. John writes, "Hey Buck, love the show. However, I was signing up for Snippy when I happened upon this paragraph in their terms of service." Users must not, quote, cause annoyance, inconvenience, or needless anxiety, or be likely to be upset, embarrassed, alarm, or annoy any other person. This might be a little too PC. Uh, John, I'll have to check that out, but their, their whole brand is being built on, you get to say what you want to say. That doesn't mean that you get to be a crazy stalker harasser, obviously, right? I mean, we, we do know there are some limits here, um, but I, I, I'm going to have to check out their terms of service, but... I'd, I'd just give it a shot and post. I, I wouldn't worry about it. They're really encouraging and an open form of uh, discussion. Cheryl writes, uh, Hey, Buck, read Sean Parnell's new book, a very good read. I guess we have a new Scott Harvath in Eric Steele. Send my congrats to Sean. I eagerly await his next installment. Thank you for all you do for this nation by trying to open and awake the people uh, of this nation. That's what happens when you get old. You can send disjointed messages uh, I'm uh, Natchez, an OSS member. will follow you to the barricade. Shields high. Joel, husband of Cheryl. Well, Joel and Cheryl, thank you so much for being OSS and being here with me. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, 
Aries writes, Buck, not all the good guys are washed up and over the hill. Stephen Baldwin is a well-known Christian and once gave me Lee Strobel's The Case for Easter. Mark Wahlberg has evolved with the influence of that Magnum, that Magnum P.I. had on his family by working with Mark's brother, Don. And you can see Mark subtly slip his beliefs into his work. In the movie, The Other Guys, private property rights and individual liberty over the state when it is affirmed that a private security contractor has the right to shoot two NYPD detectives for trespassing. Uh, yes, no, I, I know there's others. There's others. Um, the Rock isn't exactly William F. Buckley yet. I think the left would be shocked to find out he's probably more conservative at this stage in his life than his hero, former Republican governor and badass action star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, yeah, I know there's some other, there's definitely some other prominent celebrities who are in fact, uh, conservatives. Um, there are some, there are not that many, but there are certainly some, uh, Ian writes book, where the option to download your podcast go. I love to listen on iHeart, but we have really poor cell reception where I drive. I subscribed to the blaze and was hoping I could download it there, but your page has no info help. I'm having buck withdrawals. Ian, it should be available on BuckSexton.com. It should be available on the Apple Podcast, in the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, So try those and uh, let me know if you still have a problem. Uh, TJ writes, for the show Rising, I've noticed you guys have started uploading each individual segment to YouTube. That's great. However, do you think that they could just combine all the segments from each day into one YouTube video? That way I can turn the thing on later in the day and efficiently listen to the show at double speed. TJ, I think we are moving in that direction. I can't speak with great specificity or knowledge to any of the changes we're planning on the on the uh, platform or the, the platforms that we have for watching Rising, but we want to make it as much a digital era product as possible, and that means making ease of use very high up on our list of priorities. So we're trying. We're absolutely trying. Angela writes, Buck, knowing you're a Ghostbusters fan... Be sure to go back and listen to Glenn's radio show this morning, the last 20 minutes. You'll be very happy to hear it. Reserve your tickets now. Um, well, Angela, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I will go check it out. We're supposed to have Glenn on Rising in the next week or two, I think. So that's a thing that's going on. We'll see how it goes. Uh Timothy writes, here's a crazy thought for you. All of the liberal craziness started under Bill's presidency when Hillary let all of the mentally unstable people out of the mental hospitals. Uh, Timothy, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I appreciate you writing in. It's uh, good to hear. Good to hear from folks. Jim writes roll call. Well, that's good because it's going into roll call. Jim, is there any chance the moron Ocasio-Cortez could lose to the professor? It is desperation that Obama has endorsed her. She's so dumb in every interview about basic questions. I'm amazed she isn't laughed out from the room. Your phrase word salad is perfect. And what's with the way she points with her pinky? Whenever I hear her, I think there's no way she can get elected. What the hell? Is it gerrymandering at its worst? Uh, Shields high. You know, she is going to get elected. And it tells you a lot about Democrats that not only is she going to get elected, she is a already treated as a kind of prominent member of the Democrat Party. So I, I think that this is the, the trajectory of the Democrat left is to increasingly have people that they find compelling for being telegenic, compelling for fitting a certain mold or background, but not for being um, 
knowledgeable about policy or having any background to draw on that would help them be good legislators. Chris, when you played Trump's clip about Denang Dick rescuing the injured and going back for more with the bullets whizzing by, I think Trump missed an opportunity to compare him to Forrest Gump. Well, uh, I think Trump does a pretty good job of of mocking uh, Denang Dick, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think I think he's got it. Uh, that's one of Trump's great skills is giving people giving people who deserve mocking nicknames nicknames that will stick. Joe writes, Buck, Glenn interviewed Robert Epstein on his show. I sent a link to Epstein's work your way on this very medium. I'd be honored to help you spot emerging topics. I Again, I do not know what was on Glenn's show today because I had to do Rising this morning, as I do every morning, but I will check it out. Missy, sure did miss you. I always enjoy the fill-in, but good to have you back. Things are crazier than I could ever have imagined. I'm so thankful for you, Dan Bongino, and Hannity. The three of you have the tough job of keeping me focused and prepared. Thank you for all of your hard work. Well, I'm in very excellent and rarefied company there with uh, Mr. Bongino and Mr. Hannity. So thank you so much for that. And, you know, I, I do miss you guys. I miss doing the show whenever I'm out, although I do need to occasionally take days away for vacation or to give speeches. That reminds me, anybody out there, if you got a big group of conservatives you want me to come speak to, people have been able to uh, make that happen just by sending me the message on Facebook. So if you've got an idea, you got a venue and a place, uh, reach out and I'll put you in touch with my people because uh, apparently I've got people now that do these things. Matthew writes, Buck, the Democrats seem to be very comfortable using the FBI as a political weapon. So comfortable, they have no shame in asking them to investigate Kavanaugh's drinking habits on national television. Sincerely, from your West Coast birthday brother, Shields High. Well, happy birthday, Matthew. I didn't know it was your birthday. Glad to know. I hope you had a great one. And uh, I got to tell you, yes, the Democrats, it is true. They do not seem to have any problem weaponizing any aspect of the government that has real power and authority. And certainly the FBI is a favorite for them. Scott writes, uh... Hey, Buck, here's something I'd like to share. Uh, I don't have a 10,000s of your reach, but I posted on my Facebook and it's observations about Sharia law. Uh, thank you for sending it. I'll take a look when I can. Alan writes, Buck, glad you're back on the air. Hope the Stansbury conference went well. Looks like the Democrats lost around this time, but I wonder if they will try to impeach Judge K if they win the House or would they be afraid of it backfiring on them, especially if Ford's story starts to unravel. What say you? I... I think that they are going to probably try to create some kind of a hubbub around Kavanaugh. Although, let me let me rethink that for a moment because this Kavanaugh thing's blowing back on Democrats. They're hoping to move past this moment because it does not look good for them. And you're seeing this in the polls and Democrats are, are hoping that there's not a greater awareness of just how much of an effect the whole backlash against the Kavanaugh hit. They thought it would be a backlash against Kavanaugh getting on the court. But what we're actually seeing is a backlash against the hit on Kavanaugh. And that could be a, a game changer in this midterm. We'll see. As I've been saying, it might be the Kavanaugh election. Team, tomorrow we'll have a Freestyle Friday. I'm excited to uh, be back with you then. Until next time, Shields High.